Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at ByteDance, which is poised to have a valuation higher than Uber and Didi if its latest fundraising succeeds. Malcolm Moore talks to Emily Feng about how the news and video sharing app became one of a handful of Chinese tech giants to go global. Emily, can you tell us what does ByteDance do? It is... At its most basic level, a software company, and it creates these mobile apps that mostly focus on social media, on videos, mostly on entertainment. It's very well known for this news aggregator app called Jingrutoutia, which translates to today's headline. What it does is it aggregates blogs, comments, news articles, videos from across the web, and gives it to a user in this personalized news feed. And it's also become very famous for another app called TikTok, which is a short video platform, and it supplies. Funny videos from, you know, everything from cat videos to makeup tutorials. But at the heart of the company and across all of its apps is this approach, driven by artificial intelligence. So supposedly it uses these algorithms which scrape user data and preferences, and based on what a user liked to watch or liked to read before, it'll give them recommendations for what to look at next. Okay, and I'm right in thinking though that there are actually two TikToks. There's one inside China and there's one outside of China. Is that right? Yes. This isn't a totally new tactic, but the separation of apps between an international version and then a Chinese version—it's never been done on such a great scale before, and to such great commercial success. TikTok right now has about 500 million users all across the world, excluding China, and 300 million monthly active users in China itself. So it's been hugely successful, despite the fact that it's completely cut out its China users into a separate app. And the reasons behind this are myriad. The first is localization of content. People in different countries like to see different sorts of things, and they like to watch videos, read news in their own language. And localization has been a really big stumbling point for a number of other Chinese tech companies when they go global. It's pretty obvious sometimes that you're looking at a Chinese app that simply has been translated. So by separating out the apps, ByteDance was able to avoid this. Another reason behind separating the apps, though, is content control, and this is unique motivation that's been created because China's censorship apparatus has something called the Great Firewall, which filters out unwanted or sensitive content that cannot enter Chinese internet unless you have some sort of software that can contravene the Great Firewall. And so ByteDance just decided very early on that there was no reason. To try to get content to go through the Great Firewall, instead, it was just going to create these different ecosystems where international users created and consumed their own content, and Chinese users had their own ecosystem, and the two never ever overlapped. And can you see any of the other big Chinese platforms following this model, or is it something that only works for ByteDance? It's something that other companies have explored. Most notably, Google, which exited China about seven years ago, has been exploring this idea of introducing a censored search engine in China, in which it would look a lot like Google, but there are certain search terms for which you just would not get certain results. So that would be almost like a parallel version of Google. But again, this is something they're researching and have never done before. The fact that ByteDance has actually done this and made it commercially successful and decided to do this from the very beginning, I think, is notable. And it also introduces this new model for censorship. Right now, if you use WeChat, say, which is this—I was going to call it a chat app—but it basically does everything. You can pay, you can buy things, you can send video. It's a social media platform that everyone uses in China, and that a lot of overseas Chinese users use. For WeChat to get over the Great Firewall, they sometimes will have to make compromises. Certain memes, stickers, pictures, or phrases 
just do not go through. So someone in China may send a message and a person in the US receiving it just never sees the complete message. But that's a very labor intensive model. It means that China censors have to constantly update the list of forbidden terms or items that they have to look for. And it also makes censorship pretty obvious and disruptive for the people using WeChat services. So the fact that ByteDance has two separate apps, I think, has allowed them to completely leapfrog these sticky user experience issues that other Chinese tech companies have encountered. Right. So I use WeChat here in the UK. If I was to use it to message somebody else in the UK, would that go through the Chinese censorship system? Yes, it could, because WeChat stores its data on servers in China. And so it makes this very circuitous route from the UK to a server in China and then back again, even if you're sending something through British data, 4G, to someone else in the UK. I use WeChat, but I wouldn't say that very many people outside of China are using it, at least in the UK and the US, perhaps. It's not a huge thing. How did TikTok manage to grow so quickly outside of China? In large part, I think that they jump-started their growth internationally through acquisitions. They have acquired a number of similar short video and social media apps, mostly in Southeast Asia, and that's allowed them to acquire local talent. It's allowed them to acquire, at the outset, local users and given them some best practices on how to tailor their content and user experience to people from different regions across the world. Most notably, they acquired this lip-syncing app called Musical.ly, which is an LA-based app for a billion US dollars last November, and then they completely folded that platform into TikTok. So in part by spending money and buying other platforms. But I think the heart of it was ByteDance decided early on, and this is what their investors will tell you, they were just going to have a different international app for TikTok and one for China. And the teams, in fact, that managed, engineered, and did the back end for all of these apps were also completely separate. So they essentially created an international company, a subsidiary of TikTok, simply to run the ex-China portion. And that allowed them to localize their content and fine-tune it to each market much better than other Chinese tech companies. Okay, and which is the faster-growing part of the company? Is it TikTok, the video app, or is it the news app inside of China? TikTok, the video app, is for sure now the biggest and fastest-growing app for ByteDance. Okay, but just turning to the news app for a second, as you say, they use artificial intelligence to serve up tailored content and targeted ads to the people who use it. Is the AI smart enough to spot fake news? Can it distinguish between high-quality news and less high-quality news? That's the real criticism of today's headlines, or Dingrutotia, this news aggregation app that ByteDance is also behind. Not so much that it's pushing out fake news, but that it's pushing out very low-quality news, and that it's pushing out so-called pornographic and lewd or vulgar content, because they often use a number of pictures and videos and GIFs to supplement the actual hard news that they push out. It's in part what's made them really popular. The app was the target of this pretty exceptional series of editorials in the Communist Party's flagship newspaper, The People's Daily, last fall, a series of three editorials criticizing it for creating what it called an unhealthy news environment and also creating an echo chamber of partisan views that a reader would consume because of this customized news feed, which I think is actually, a, oddly, a very prescient argument to have at the time in a Communist Party tabloid because it mirrored a lot of what people were saying back in the US and Europe about sensationalist news, partisan news, and news bubbles happening on social media. I think the bigger problem that Jingru Totio has had, though, has been with this 
lewd and vulgar content that I mentioned before. And when I say that it's vulgar, it's a little risque. I've seen it, but it's not extremely graphic. These are things like pictures of really busty women and they're not wearing a lot of clothes, but they're still clothed for the most part, or videos of pretty girls doing choreographed dances and, and so on and so forth. But it's enough that Chinese cyberspace regulators have been worried and the disciplinary measures that we've seen ByteDance apps receive have been most of the time because of this vulgar content. Okay. We've obviously covered the company's latest round of fundraising, which now values it at 75 billion US dollars. How can it be worth 75 billion US dollars? We're talking about a news app and a video app. That's a really good question. I think behind it, the number, if anything, is a bit symbolic for the company's investors. And so they've had incentives to push for a very high valuation. If indeed the company does close this final round of investment, its valuation of 75 billion US dollars would surpass Baidu. It would surpass Uber and other Chinese giants like Didi Chuxing, which is an Uber-like app, Meituan Dianping, which is an app that just went public last month. So it's something that I think investors are incentivized to play up. The other thing is ByteDance will tell you they're not just an entertainment company or a software company. They don't put out simply a news aggregation app. Behind it, what's really valuable is the user data. They have, as I said, 800 aggregate million users for TikTok, both internationally and within China. And Xinru Toutiao has something like 120 million daily active users within China. There are very few tech companies out there that can say they have hundreds of millions of data points on individual users, both in and outside of China. Usually it's you know, one or the other, not both. And so I think that's what's also made it a very valuable company. And knowing that ByteDance has also started to label itself as more of an artificial intelligence company rather than a purely software company. You've seen them make investments of their own. They've started investing in education and education technology. All of these areas in which data about a person's behavior and the information they consume can be really valuable. I think also when we were reporting the story, one of the bankers who had been working on these discussions with ByteDance and potential investors said SoftBank is not bashful about paying high valuations. SoftBank being the Japanese venture capital fund or the arm of the Japanese tech conglomerate that is in discussions to invest in ByteDance. And so we've seen Masayoshi-san, the man behind the SoftBank Vision Fund, really pushing for an enlargement of his portfolio in artificial intelligence. So that could also be one of the reasons behind the really, really high number that ByteDance and other investors have been reporting. And how valuable do you think their AI tech is? If they're part of the SoftBank portfolio, can you see that being taken again overseas and used elsewhere? I can see it being really valuable, but I think at this point, it is a bet on AI as a concept and also ByteDance as a platform. I think what's notable about ByteDance is its backers so far have been a handful of foreign and domestic venture capital firms and PE funds. These funds have not included the Chinese tech giants Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. So in certain ways, an investment in ByteDance is an investment into an alternative ecosystem of Chinese software providers that does not include Tencent and Alibaba, which for the most part have completely monopolized tech funding up until this point. And so it's a bet on trying to seek a new arena in China's tech scene that doesn't involve already established giants like Alibaba and Tencent. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much, Emily. Thanks, Malcolm. 
That was Malcolm Moore talking to Emily Feng in Beijing. You can find links to more articles on this topic in our show notes. We'll be back with more news tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.